Terry, so great to great to see you again. Um, excited to go over your results. I know we have the Dutch test to go over, your lab work, and of course, we've already done the genetic test. But what's really good about that is um, we can make changes to what has happened between the last time we talked and what we where we are now, and then relook at the genetics and see what other aspects of your biochemistry that we haven't incorporated, and and now create a new chart, give you new marching orders so that we can you know continue the progress of getting you feeling better. So let's do this. Um, I always, you know how we always like to start is just with an update. So we haven't really talked for a while. It looks like the last yeah. time we talked was in, in almost February. So yeah. much has gone on. So why don't you just give me a little update, Carrie, in terms of what you've been through, what you've done, um, obviously, you know, in terms of how you're feeling. Let's go through that. Well, everything was... Um going pretty well. Um, I did have a, a full hysterectomy in June. And ever since then, I've been starting to get those hot flashes and I'm not sleeping well and things are starting to slide backwards now. So I wanted to, I, I did the Dutch and I peeked at my results and I could see my cortisol was high. And so I wanna try to get these hormones balanced now that they're all out of whack from the surgery. So. Sure. Yeah. And then again, remind me what the reasoning for why they wanted to do the hysterectomy. Well, I was close to menopause anyway, and I was having abnormal periods where I was, I was constantly having my period and I was starting to get anemic. And then I've also got the BRCA1 genes. So, and my mother died of ovarian cancer. So I've got some of those risk factors. So um, we decided it was probably in my best interest to go ahead and um, just take it out and, you know, right. work on, you know, my iron again, you know, getting that back in order and, you know. Sure. Just to, to be safe than sorry, um, as yeah. well as the genetic components as well. Um, but you mentioned, though, you were, everything was going pretty well. So. Um, yeah, other than, other than that yeah. part, you know, all the other issues, you know, that I've been having, like with histamines and rashes and gut problems, all of that seemed to be, you know, clearing up and, and you know, I was doing well as far as, you know, those, those items go. Right. And then, and then the full hysterectomy in June. And yes. then as far as um, the hot flashes, when did they start again? They probably started about a month afterwards. So I thought I was gonna be in the clear and not have any issues, but about a month later, I started getting those hot flashes and um, they're mostly at night, but they do happen during the day, but they definitely interrupt my sleep. And so, you know, my sleep had been so great before, like I finally got my sleep nailed to where I was sleeping so well and my aura ring would tell me, you know, oh, you're doing so great. And then now it's like, I'm waking up every couple hours and it's, it's not good. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Okay. And then you also included included blood work for our review today as well. So yeah. what we'll be doing is we'll go over the, the Dutch test first um, and then incorporate the blood work to get some other pieces of the puzzle information about um, connecting the dots. And then of course, open up the genetics as well. So anything else to, to add? I mean, obviously things are going well, had been going well. Um, 
when have you been back to the doctor for, that did the surgery and is that who ordered the blood tests and they're wanting to continue to keep the finger on the pulse for you in that area? Actually, well, I, I went back to the doctor that did the surgery for the follow-up and got the all clear. I had a different doctor actually order the blood work. Um, she's monitoring my thyroid and, and hormones. So she basically did thyroid and hormone workup. Um, but my thyroid, the numbers are a little off too. So we need to check that one out. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And a lot, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people that, that I work with, they, they come to me first with, Hey, my thyroid is, is not working. You know, I'm taking medication We're we're changing the dose. Um, we're, um, changing the, the actual brand. I know a lot of people, um, got upset when they changed the, uh, the, the tip, the, the actual, um, brand of the specific thyroid and they felt worse once they did that. Um, so, but I, I explained to them that this is the effect, not so much the cause in a lot of cases, it could be the cause, you know, Hashimoto's, you have an autoimmune reactivity against the thyroid, but again, that's really kind of in the effect of the immune system being, uh, overwhelmed. And then it it will create a, an, an immune reaction against the thyroid in a protective like mechanism to slow down metabolism, preserve nutrients, reduce oxidative stress. It's, it's a proper response for an improper, uh, environmental, thing that's going on in the body. So we will bring that into to consideration for sure. Um, any other pressing comments, questions, concerns that you want to make sure we, we address before we go, get into all of this? Um, I guess blood sugar, because I was doing keto. And then about, it's, it's, it's eight weeks ago, I started going back to eating carbs. And so my, I wanted to you to look at my insulin and A1C and see what you thought about that. Yeah, we talked about that. And I know that you became really metabolically flexible. Yeah. We're getting really great um, ketone levels. Um, and I think that really propelled you into feeling better. Um, mm-hmm. And then we did talk about you going back into cycling, um, your carbs back in there, wanting to build a little bit of muscle. And you've done that too, right? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, um, so it has been eight weeks of adding the carbs in. And over the eight weeks, because I've been doing it strategically, not just like eating ice cream and whatever, you know, um, I've gained 3.6 pounds of muscle, I think it was, and 1.4 of fat. So it is going more, I mean, I know the fat's going to come with, you know, you can't just (laughs) selectively gain only muscle, but um, I'm really happy with you know, the muscle part because. And I that's was, because you, you felt like you were underweight or you just were weakened. You didn't have the, 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 um, the lean weight that you wanted. Your, your muscles were deteriorating, like your goal, yeah, some, was, you know, yeah. A lot of it, so a little bit of it was from fasting and things um, because I, I may have overdone it on that side, you know, and I, my starting weight was like 95 pounds. And at one point when I was doing a lot of the fasting, I went down to 89 pounds once. And that's just like too low. So I think I got a little overzealous with my fasting and eating one meal a day. And so I was losing a lot of muscle and, and, um, you know, I wanted to get bone strength and everything. So I need to, I need to, I need some more muscle as I was looking pretty sure. well. 
<laughs> what are you weighing now, Carrie? Uh, today I weighed 102, 102.6, 102. And the ultimate where you'd want to be? I mean, you know. Um, well, I mean, probably maybe more like 110. Okay. More muscle, not, you know, it's kind of hard to say what the actual weight would be because I want it to be muscle instead of the fat. And I don't sure. know what yeah. that number would really. Right, it would be. It's so yeah. funny. So, you know, some, some women have the problem of, of, of losing weight, right? And then other women have the problem of gaining weight. And, and I've, you've heard me say this before where adaptogenically, like an adaptogenic herb means if you have too much cortisol, you take an adaptogenic herb, it lowers the cortisol, it's adaptogenic, or you have too little cortisol, um, the adaptogenic herb, same herb will raise the cortisol. So it's used in terms of whatever your body needs, the adaptogenic herb will help that physiological effect. And I, I believe the same thing happens with weight, where if we have biochemistry issues, histamine issues, mast cell issues, inflammation issues, blood sugar issues, um, immune challenges, um, then your body might be locked up in more of an autophagenic breakdown, difficult to build up versus someone else might be more into an mTOR building difficult to break to, to, to release. So, you know, I always tell people like, be careful what you wish for number yeah. one. And then number two, it, it comes down to the both sides of the equation is getting to the root cause of the problem and then adaptogenically helping your body do what it needs to do. And, and you understand that for sure. Yeah. What was interesting is because before I started doing the keto to do all the inflammation, um, I was, you know, overweight. I mean, not tremendously, but I was, my body fat was like 30%. You know, I weighed like 126 to 130, somewhere around there. And it wasn't very muscly, you know, it was more fluffy. Right. And um, when you put me on the keto diet, I didn't even know keto was for, was for weight loss. You know, I just happened to start losing weight and I'm like, what, what is going on? And so I almost got addicted to keto, you know, because I just loved it, how, you know, you could start to see your muscles and then you would lose that weight. Um, but then I think I took it a little too far. And so now I'm adding the carbs back in, but what was really cool is I've been testing my ketones each week with adding in the extra carbs. Um, last week was the first week that I fell below 0.5, that I was actually out of ketosis with eating, I'm eating like 270 carbs a day now. Wow. Yeah. I was eating like 240 when I tested them and I would be like at 0 0.5, 0 0.6 with ketones. And they say, right. anything, you know, 0.5 and above is in ketosis. So, and, and at first my blood sugar was high when I started the, the carbs, it would be like in the nineties. Um, but then it dropped into the eighties. And then the other week it was down to 77 again, like that right. kind of like keto. So I think yeah. my body's finally starting to adapt to, to adapt carbs again. Yeah. I haven't tested sure. my ketones yet. I, I've just been doing it once a week. Um, just for the it's fact. interesting. This is a great conversation because um, it, it just really points to bio-individuality. Yeah. You know, you can't just read a book and say, okay, you got to be 20 grams or less. You know, everyone's different, number mm -hmm. one. Uh, number two, um, it really speaks to your metabolic flexibility. Um, I, I would, I, I think that, yes, there's a major hysterectomy is, is a major surgery. 
and there are some genetic components that that um, we have some major challenges with. Um, but with that being said, Carrie, I, I think that we're going to and I like to cycle into and out of that's a really advanced strategy, not for the average person to do. Um, but you and I've been working together for quite some time. And and that's why it's so important for us to check in, because now we're recalibrating. I call it like a bonsai tree. We need to trim around the hedges. <laughs> um, but it's kind of like, you know, setting coordinations and then and then not really checking into are we moving forward? Are we moving sideways? Are we moving backwards? And what I would say is, is that the, the ketones and metabolic flexibility and bioindividuality is going to be is key for everyone we work with. But specifically to you, I think that um, cycling, like figuring out like what's your ideal glucose ketone index. So meaning like when you look at your glucose and you say, okay, I'm seeing it's getting into the seventies again, or um, I'm, I'm measuring my ketones and it fell below 0.5. Okay. But what does that mean in relationship to glucose ketone index? Meaning when you look at your glucose, you divide it by 18 because that will convert it into millimoles. Yeah. And then you, you divide that by your ketones and, and you'll see now your glucose ketone index um, and two numbers I want you to be aware of. Okay. Where do I feel best with my glucose ketone index? You know, is it, is if I'm not below five, that could be where we need to get you below five. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm, if I'm below five, I don't feel so great. So that's going to be key, number one. And then the other number would be, you know, where do you feel best with your actual ketones? You know, maybe like dipping below 0.5 isn't good. And, and you are stretching the limits of your metabolic flexibility. So it may want you to be, hey, Carrie, I want you to get those ketones into uh, a 0.8 to 1.2 range. And that means you got to drop your carbs to two from 270 to, to 220. Now, I think it's important to um, like people listening to this, if they were to listen to this would think, oh my gosh, I couldn't have 220. I mean, I'm not, that's going to blow me out of ketosis. I'm not going to produce any ketones. My glucose levels are going to be high. We've worked really hard to get you to where you are. But yeah. I think the bottom line is, being aware for your own self of, okay, glucose ketone index number is more what I need to start to focus in on and really understand where do I feel best? Is it, is it, if it's below point nine, if it, because really you want it below 9.5. So if you look at your glue and you are way below that, um, but you may want to be below six or you may want to be mm -hmm. below um, five or just looking at the, the ketone number, you may want to be um, above 8.8 or you may want to be above one. So that's where I want you to start to be aware of that yourself, like start to make inferences between how do I feel with that glucose ketone index as the number as a quotient or how do I feel as the actual ketone level itself? So that, that would be something we would definitely look into. So, all right, those are all, any other thing you want to add or let, I mean, we've got to get into this. I think that's, that's I think that's, that's yeah. yeah, I think those are the things right now. Yeah. Cause I got someone at 10 and we, we meet for an hour and I want to make sure we get through all this. <laughs> all right. So let's look at your um, Dutch test. And um, as we're waiting for it to populate, you did, you said you got it first. And this was the Dutch plus, which means it looks at your, um, at your cortisol awakening response. 
um, which basically means when we first get up in the morning, you have a, um, a, it should have a doubling of your, of your cortisol. And that's why they call it the cortisol awakening response. Um, so you can see in the purple, in the blue lines, um, actually, let me put this as a continuous scroll. Um, you can see here, why didn't it change? One second. All right, so you can see here um, in, in these, this line here, this is, your, this is your line. And then this are the ideal lines. Mm -hmm. So you can see, and this is your free fraction, meaning the part that's not bound to a protein. That's why they do the saliva. That's what's so cool about this test is they do both urine and saliva. And so um, right here is what we look at. So this is typically what we'll look at the first thing. We'll look at this section. And we're saying, okay, this is your cortisol awakening response. We should see it um, rise in the morning, which it is. And then throughout within the first half hour. And then after an hour, it's on its way down and slowly descends throughout the whole day. Um, and, and you could see that for yourself, but obviously you can also see that your levels are elevated, which you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So your free fraction is high, um, which, which can with which can imply a lot of things. I mean, it can imply that, um, sorry, I'm trying to erase all these number, these, these signs here. It can apply a lot of things. It can imply that we're under stress, you know, that we're, we're ramped up. Our HPA axis is over, is being stimulated. Um, it, it can also imply that we're, um, we have a free fraction that's not being utilized, right? In terms of, um, if you look at your metabolized, this is, I always like to look at this for clients is let's look at the relationship between the metabolized, which is how much did you produce for that given time period? So when you do a urine sample, you're measuring the output of cortisol for the entire time period that you're doing it. So if you do it when you first wake up and then you do it, you know, um, your last reading is, is before bed then that is the time period that you're measuring your cortisol levels. That's called metabolized cortisol. How much did you produce for the whole day? Whereas saliva only represents 1%, 3%, 5% of your total cortisol production. So that's why I tell people, be careful when you look at the saliva samples, because you're not measuring your total output. You're measuring your free fraction that's available for use. And there's a lot of factors that will impact what's available. Inflammation, thyroid issues, abdominal obesity, stress, um, genetics. There's a lot of things that will impact that. But what we like to do is we like to look at this ratio of, okay, you're, you're really high in how much you're producing. You're too high. Um, but your metabolized is, is not as high. So there's a ratio challenge there. And, and there's things that you think about, you can think about overactivity or underactivity of the thyroid. That's one of the things that you think of with that. So one of the things I'll do, Carrie, is I'll go right to the, this page over here and look at your, um, where is it? We'll look at your... Um, your body's, I call this the general of the body. So whereas we look at the HPA axis is the metabolized cortisol. So the brain tells the, the, the adrenals to produce 
that's we call that central command the brain telling the adrenals so the metabolize is more of a of a of a marker of the the glandule the the brain's um signaling to the gland to produce whereas the 11 beta hsd which is basically um at the cellular level at the tissue level once the cortisol has been produced um is it telling the cortisol to to be active or is it telling the cortisol to be inactive so sometimes the brain signals are different than the cellular signals the brain the pituitary and, and the hypothalamus wants that adrenal hormone around to, to function because its brain is the priority. So it will say, hey, adrenals, make more. So that's where your metabolized cortisol will be high. Whereas at the cellular level, this is a marker at the cellular level saying, the brain's producing too much. And so when it comes into our cell, we tell that cortisol to be deactivated or the brain is not making enough. And we tell that cortisol to be more active. And, and so the 11 beta HSD, I tell them it's, it's the army sergeant that tells the troops, hey, we need more troops on the battlefield or we need less troops on the battlefield. And you can see in your case, you're telling your body to make more troops, right? So it's, mm -hmm. it's in the favor of cortisol. So that's why you will see that free cortisol be higher, right? Because you're at the cellular level you're telling the, the, the adrenal, you're telling the cortisol to be more active. So convert more into the active hormone. And that mm -hmm. happens in the kidneys. It happens in the liver, mostly the kidneys where it's saying, Hey, you need to activate your, your surplus or your, your, your amounts of stored cortisol zone into cortisol. Cause we need more troops at the level. And, and that's catabolic. And it's, it's, it's also, um, stimulating, right? Because cortisol will produce energy, will dump glucose into the bloodstream, um, will help balance your minerals. So what it's telling me is at the cellular level, your body's wanting more cortisol. It's, it's, there's more stress at the cellular level. There's more inflammation. At the, so a couple of things we could do, Carrie, in that instance, if you feel like, okay, I'm not sleeping very well, um, we can attempt to get more cortisol converted into cortisone. I mean, at the end of the day, we want to get to the root cause of the problem, find out where the inflammation is coming from, um, see if we can address immune health, um, gut health, detoxification issues, you, you know, is there mold, what, whatever. Um, but, you know, to give you some sleep, we want to convert that into the, into the inactive hormone because your free fraction is high mm -hmm. in cortisol and your body is favoring um, cortisol production, even though even your cortisone production is high too, but we want to kind of convert that into this here. So one of the great products we've talked about the company we like so much is Premier Research Labs. Tranquinol um, is a really great product. You can take, you know, a couple capsules before bed. And what that does is it's got Zisphus roots, got Alaria, and those are really great nutrients that will help to lower that cortisol into cortisone, you know, so that we have that, that amount um, being deactivated. It's helpful. I've had people work really well. On the flip side, sometimes I'll have people favoring too much cortisone uh, and their, and their half-life of cortisol doesn't stay around very long. 
So what we'll do is we will recommend licorice root. So I would not recommend licorice root for you here um, because you already have a lot of cortisol, free cortisol and your body's already you know, squeezing the sponge and getting as much juice out of it as it possibly can, which suggests what's going on at the cellular level. What's what's going on inflammatory wise? Why why is your body wanting to squeeze the sponge out and get as much juice of cortisol as it possibly can? So, so require. Let's look at the blood work. So that's really a good time to hey, let's let's put this down here. Let's minimize this. And let's jump into your blood work here. So yeah, and you mentioned the cortisol, you know, going to the kidneys because on my blood work, um, like my bun creatine and creatinine level was kind of high. Like the, the some of the liver and kidney things were high that have never been high before. And I don't know if it's because of the high protein, you know, like the more protein that right. I'm eating now or right, whether right. something with the cortisol now that you mentioned that. Yeah, I mean, listen, um, so... I can't draw on here, but if I could. Um, so when you look at the BUN, it, you know, I don't look. OK, so I whenever we look with clients, I'll look through your lab results first. Right. So I, I will. OK, your BUN creatinine ratio is high. Right. So um, but if the BUN is in the lab range and the creatinine is in the lab range, but if one's a little bit lower than the other one, the quotient is going to be higher or low outside of the range. Oh. So I don't look at that range, Carrie, if both of these are in the ranges. Meaning if your BUN's in the range, your creatinine is in the range, then if the quotient is out of the range, maybe your creatinine's a little low and that comes down to yeah. methylation issues. Um, and we can support that with creatine. Um, because it's an end product of methylation. Um, that's where I would look at your genetics. And then we'll say, okay, do you have a GAMT SNP? Um, let's take a look. I don't remember. You don't, right? So GAMT is what helps to produce creatine. So sometimes I'll make, hey, let's get you on creatine. Your creatinine is low or your BUN ratio is, is high because your creatinine is low kind of thing. Um, or you may have other methylation issues you do like FUT2 is, is one that helps to absorb, um, um, helps to absorb B12, um, helps to give you proper flora, helps to make stomach secretions, stomach acids. So we'll also want to look on your blood work. Are there markers of protein absorption issues? Because protein is necessary for um, cellular processes, repairing. Um, and if we're having problems putting weight on, um, then the weak link in the chain breaks where your GI issues are not allowing you to absorb proteins mm -hmm. and or your immune system's upregulated requiring protein. So you have a supply and demand problem too, right? Plus you have a genetic component of not making that microbiome healthy um, with your FUT2 and not absorbing your B12. Um, so we would say, Hey, you have some B12 factor concerns so want to look at your blood work for that. There are some empty, you know, your, your homozygous for MTHFR. So we will want to make sure we got enough folate in there as well. Um, and even folinic acid because DHFR helps to make folinic acid as well. So we may want to, you know, look at adding some substrates of folinic folate B12 GI support to make sure we're getting our proteins, um, to make sure that our, you know, our immune system's functioning fully. And that could be one of the reasons, again, why your cellular level is squeezing the sponge so much to break more cortisol to the tissues. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
hadn't really put that together with the cortisol. <laughs> right. But, but then, you know, okay. So we look at the liver enzymes and say, okay, liver, liver enzymes are high from a lab range. You know, this one's going to be high from a functional range. Um, because when we look at it from the functional range, which is more that, that what we consider the healthy ranges, you can see now this, this level is actually high. We can actually draw on here. Um, this level is, these two levels are high, you know? Um, but when we look at it from the lab range, where are we over here? When we look at it from the lab range, that only one of them is high, mm -hmm. right? So, so again, liver methylation is, is a big um, energy producer for the liver, for the kidneys, um, B vitamins support. Um, is there toxic chemicals or um, pathogens or um, things that the body's having to process that's not keeping up? And I say liver enzymes being high, like, okay, that would make sense that your free cortisol would be high too. Like the body's under stress. Um, cholesterol, I mean, in fact, that's actually lower than usual, right? I mean, yeah, it was three, a lot 380 the last time. Right, right. And that's where you and I had a lot of talks about, <laughs> hey, like maybe like keto from the genetic standpoint um, should be controlled. And I think that's where dialing in again to the glucose ketone index, mm -hmm. finding that happy medium of, okay, um, I, I can't be at 270 carbs and, and really continue to test my metabolic flexibility to a point where it starts to produce less ketones. But um, I can drop my carbs significantly without having to raise my pro my fats. So right. I don't bump up my cholesterol at the end of the day. Like I am concerned when I have someone who has higher cholesterol, but I'm more concerned if there's inflammation associated with that. Right. Cause then that oxidizes and creates more cardiovascular issues. Um, but, but, I, that's, I'm sure you're happy to see that be lower, right? Yeah. There, yeah. <laughs> For me, that's, that's lower. <laughs> yeah. And um, so again, it's going to come down to playing around with your metabolic flexibility, um, your glucose ketone index, um, your total, um, your total um, uh, ketones, and also just understanding like, hey, it's been eight weeks now that I've added those carbs in. Um, let me go back into maybe eight weeks of cycling back into lower carbs mm -hmm. uh, and, and see if I, if my night sweats, because that's really the barometer is, okay, I always want to keep my finger on the pulse of my objective labs, but also sometimes my objective labs aren't changing as fast as my symptoms are favorably or unfavorably. And I'm feeling better. I'm not having the night sweats. I'm sleeping through the night. I'm still maintaining my muscle mass. My cholesterol levels are, are still staying in the ranges. So th that would be more of the take home. And, and again, this is sophisticated talk, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is, we won't start this way with someone I'd work with right from the very beginning, but I, I like you, you and I have been working together for quite some time. This is sophisticated talk, right? And you get, okay, this makes sense. I need to mm -hmm. take that. I need to understand that. Um, A1C 5.4. I mean, do you remember? I mean, we could look through some of your old labs. Have They were lower in the past, correct? I think it went down to like four something, 4.5 when I yeah, was on I mean, keto. Five, but five it was much higher before I started keto. Like it was the five. <laughs> Point seven or something, you know, before I started right. working with you and everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, some doctors like to see that 4.8, um, you know, five point, I like to see it in the lower fives. Um, did they do the fasting insulin on here? 
Um, yeah, yes, five. So again, I, I'd probably want that a little lower too. That's I, you know, point. some doctors want to see that less than three. And so, you know, what, what spikes insulin? 270 carbs is a lot in my mind, you know, like. Well, then I was on 230, but that, that was when I was still kind of um, like my blood sugar was still a little high. Like it was 98 that day that I went there, my fasting glucose. Right. And, but like now it's been dropping lower in the morning. So I don't know if, because can insulin change that quickly? Like if I have high blood sugar that morning, like a higher normal reading because like I had bad sleep that night before. Um, I, I think it's volatile. I, go up and I, down it, it can be volatile based on what you're eating, based on if you're experiencing a, a, an inflammatory um, trigger, um, you know, stressors. Um, but, but in general, it, it, you have to keep it in context. Has yes. it been higher? Has it been lower? Yeah. What was it in the past? I'd still say absolutely. Like it's going to be more of the effect of changes more than, Hey, let's just take something to lower insulin kind of thing. Right. Um, um when so I remind me again, Carrie, when you had the hysterectomy, what was the strategy in terms of estrogen replacement and, and hormone support? She, um, that's when she wanted to have me test, you know, wait a little bit after the hysterectomy and then test to see where we're at. Um, right now I, I have a topical estriol just because that's more of the protective, like, but I know that's not the type of estrogen that needs to get replaced. So, um, I'm taking progesterone, the, um, micronized, the compounded, <laughs> compounded progesterone, but right. I've been taking that before the hysterectomy as well. Um, so that's the only thing that I'm, that I was taking as far as hormone replacement, but I'm going to be meeting with her next week. And then I don't know what she's going to recommend as far as estrogen. And that's what I kind of wanted to talk to you. Yeah. About. I mean, you could, you could see here, you know, without ERT replacement, you you're in the range, right? So now I don't have a functional range for estrogen. Um, but that's where we can now oscillate to back to the Dutch test, um, and take a look and see. Um, it's pretty low. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely low. Um, but your liver is, 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 is sluggish right now. Right. Yeah, so I had been kind of lax with my milk thistle and sulforaphane. So I started back up on those again. Cause yeah, I mean, uh, so you can start, it's not as good. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. So, you know, we have phase one and phase two, right? So here are the metabol, here's the estrogen E1, E2, E3. And we really want it to go down this protective pathway. It's only coming down there 48%. Now I've seen a lot of women go wrong where they'll take dim right? And they'll take a lot of dim. And I, and I don't, and, and what happens is like, they'll come, they'll switch this ratio to be a hundred percent, but dim will also lower your starting points. Mm -hmm. So we don't want that. Although um, one of the products that I really do like is the, um, the estrel flavone. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe it's made by premier research labs. I'm just opening it up right now to take a look and see what it looks like. Um, because you do want to push it down that protective pathway, but that's where I would say like the sulforaphane, if you stopped it, you need to get back on it. Um, um, but let's take a look at the estrel flavone just so that I can see, um, premier research 
Labs, Astro. Okay, so I believe, I mean, it's inexpensive. It's $20, $21, right? So it's, it's always a good price. Um, and then you're getting 113 milligrams. It could be something you do like once every three days, right? Okay. You know, just to, to get some extra support where you're not really going to lower it too much. Because 113 divided by three, you'd be getting like 40 milligrams per, per, you know, per day averaged out, right? So it's, it's a, a little, or you could do it once every five days, something where you're just supporting that. But, you know, going back to your genetics now, that's where we look at some of your challenges, like Nerf 2 you, you, you mentioned the BRCA gene, which is supportive for signaling your, your antioxidants and supporting tumor suppression and so forth. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have challenges there. So sulforaphane is, is key for you. You know, so we see that in a lot of the, um, the, 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 the BRCA family of, of, um, of, of foods, right? So, um, broccoli sprouts, um, Brussels sprouts, stuff that, um, are going to have high sulfur based, um, uh, nutrients in there. Um, but this whole row is antioxidants. And so if we look at, we need that antioxidant support, um, because it's playing out in terms of your phase one needs support. Look at how good your phase two is. Um, your phase two is really working hard. It's actually clearing out more than it's coming into it. Yeah. Right. That's because it's working to clear out some of these other metabolites that are going down these alternative pathways. But at the same time, it's scraping the bottom of the barrel, meaning there's not a lot there to have to, 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 to clear out. Right. So that's where you, you could see that your E3 is, is okay. It's higher. Um, I, I would want to work on liver phase one, phase two, phase three, before you would add in the extra estrogen um, so that you're making sure you're metabolizing this properly so that when you do add it in, phase, phase one is supported, phase two is supported, um, so to speak. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right, because we don't so, want to be I adding mean, more estrogen when I can't clear it out. Well, you, you can clear it out, but you're, you're, you are going down. I mean, you're going down this, this unhealthy pathway 41% of the time. You don't want that. And if you're getting way more estrogen, that would not be good. That's what creates those breast cancer concerns. Okay. So, or estrogen-like concerns because it oxidizes, creates DNA damage, and depletes your glutathione, right? So... Um, sulforaphane, maybe a little bit of that estroflavone every, you know, it also has other nutrients. And then looking at your genetics, which is new for, for us is really seeing like sulfation needs support. Glucuronidation needs support. Those are all phase two metabolites that, uh, are phase two processes where it, on the, on the surface level, you look like you're doing fine with your phase two, but you know, you could have challenges with your phase two um, if you start to push things down more that pathway. Now it's never gonna be super high again. Like you're not gonna take, but I do work with a lot of women that take way too much estrogen. And if they have a slow phase two, 
uh, a phase, if they have a slow phase one, um, that's going to be problematic because it's going to be creating all these extra metabolites that may be going down the unhealthy pathway, right? So again, I'm not prescribing estrogen. Um, the hot flashes may get better by getting some estrogen support, but making sure that your phase, your liver enzymes are high on your blood work, um, making sure that you're supporting liver. And it's not just taking milk thistle, but it's looking at your um, phase one, phase two, phase three, and saying, okay, like, how can I support all of these things and work your way backwards? So phase three is binding, making sure you're eliminating your bowel movements are working well. Um, you're getting toxins out of the, the body. So, you, you know, that's, that's key. So binders are always key too. Um, and then looking at phase two stuff, uh, methylation, you, you know, we talked about the, the B12 and methylfolate and your GI support, um, maybe creatine to give you that end product. And again, I don't want you on a thousand and one supplements, but we're just talking out loud. Right. Um, and then, and then looking at calcium deglucurate could be a really good nutrient for you for helping, um, that estrogen metabolism. Right. So that's probably what, what I would layer in right away is that calcium deglucurate okay. or, or a glucuronidation support, like a glucuronidation assist. Um, because I believe it's got dandelion in there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that could be really good for you as well. So get the liver working, help it methylation wise, sulforaphane, glutathione, those, those will help glucuronidation, um, getting good sulfurs in your foods um, that will help with sulfation that's the key for you really, you know, and then of, of course, glucose ketone index, we've talked about some at some length here. Um, you know, a lot of people I find when they see that their cortisol levels are this high, they'll take phosphatidylserine. And, and I don't know, um, if that maybe lower the free fraction. Yeah. Um, but we're getting more to the root of the challenge here. Like, you know, like your phase, two, your phase one is, is going down more of a, of a different pathway than we'd like to see. We're getting false readings potentially on your phase two, because we see genetically you have a lot of ch challenges, but it's looking like it's good relative to the little, I say phase one is like the, you having a party and, and bringing the garbage to the curb or the side of the house. And phase two is the garbage men taking it away. So we're saying, well, your garbage men are doing a good job taking it away, but you're bringing nothing to the curb for us to even make a decision that they're doing a good job. And I already know that you don't have the best garbage men, so to speak, based on <laughs> the genetics, right? So um, calcium deglucurate, um, sulforaphane, th those would be the things, you know, even coffee enemas, castor oil packs, saunas, um, giving that extra support to the liver. And I find in today's day and age with the exhausted, burnt out people that I work with, you're never going to do a bad job. Uh, uh, you're never going to go, go wrong per se in terms of identifying the liver as something you need to support, but you can go wrong in terms of doing things too quickly when your body's not ready for it. Uh, questions with that at all, Carrie? I mean, I know we're talking a lot. We've said so much there. I know. Um, I was wondering if the fact that the hysterectomy, like the adrenals are working more to try to produce the um, estrogen, if that's one of the reasons for the 
the, for the free cortisol? The high cortisol. You know, it's a or, it's a good question. I think it's more. It could be, but that would be more reflective of your HP, your your metabolized cortisol being higher. Oh, okay. Right, which would be over here, this value. Okay. But right, because that's the central station, right? Um, although oh, right, that could right. be why you're, okay. you're that could be why your eleven beta HSD is higher, but I don't think so. I think it's more like. I mean, it's a stressful thing to have a major surgery right in the body mm -hmm. and your body's needing to repair and regenerate and kind of learn what to do without its partners anymore kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, um, your liver enzymes are high yeah. and you're going down alternative pathways in phase one and you have genetic susceptibilities. Um, so really supporting liver, liver, liver. liver, is, liver, is really liver. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then looking at your... Um, your other blood markers, some of the things we always want to look at thyroid. So, you know, 5.93, um, we've had a huge, some doctors would say, oh my goodness, that's so high. Like what? So take me through, we got 10 minutes here. So take yeah. me through your, um, your thyroid strategy right now. Okay. So I'm on armor. I looked at my last thyroid because I had been on Synthroid for a long time and then they kept the TSH down, but it, nothing was really working well. So I've been on armor, I think it's been about two years and my TSH has been lower, but my, the TSH like a year ago was like at six. And so I don't know why the TSH is up so high when she didn't do a full panel on this, but she did the, the free four and, and three. And I think they were within range. So I'm, not sure why the TSH is still signaling. You know, it's 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 an effector. We talked about that earlier, where your thyroid is is the effect of of things going on in the body. So your brain, your pituitary, saying, "Hey, you know, the pituitary is the jockey. The the thyroid is the horse. Your pituitary is saying the horse to 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 cadence should be faster. You need to get over the hump. You need to get over that that hill." Um, so you need to speed up, put your foot on the accelerator, unfortunately for animal lovers, beat that horse faster and run faster. Right. Um, so I don't know again, if like, what I would say to that is, is that pituitary wind up in flat secondary to stress, inflammation, liver detoxification issues, mm -hmm. methylation issues, blood sugar changes, you know, glucose, all those types of things. Like we've given you so many tools to, yeah. to, to understand how to do that. So, so in that case, um, I would have liked to see that reverse T3 because we like to look at that yeah. ratio, right? So maybe we can layer that in there and say, okay, what's your total T3 looks good. Um, it's at 3.1. We like to see that between three and four. So, so that looks good. So I don't default to, oh my God, we got to like change your thyroid meds. Um, my goal is always with working with clients, if possible, to get to the root cause of the problem, support all those pathways and, and get them off the thyroid meds. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's been on it for a long time and my, I'm not really licensed to get you off, I'm not real. I'm not licensed to take you off. I'm licensed to support you. Um, and um, I, I look at that as, okay, well, um, we see your free cortisol be high um, and your pituitary is, is, is definitely working overtime. Um, cordyceps mushrooms are really well for that, um, for, 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 for pituitary support. 
Um, but all the strategies we talked about with liver support, um, mm -hmm. calcium deglucurate, sulforaphane, methylation support. Um, you know, what are the methylation supports that we like? What are you doing for B vitamins right now? I use the um, PRL, the max. BMD. Yeah. 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 I mean, to me, that's my favorite thing. And that's probably why your, your phase two looks so good, even though it's not a great indication of if you were bringing more garbage to the curb kind of thing, how good your garbage men are doing, but it's still, it's still a good sign of, of what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if I would change that too much. Um, there, there are things that are missing on here. Like I would have liked to see, like, let's look at your blood work here. And that's the challenge. Like when, you know, we get clients that have their doctor to run blood work, but they are not getting um, all of the values that we want. And again, from the lab range, it, the creatinine was fine, but mm -hmm. from the, from the functional range, it's low. So again, even though you don't have a GAMT SNP, maybe short-term creatine will help to give you that end product of methylation so that now your methyls are more available um, to be able to do other things. Right. So that could, and I think we've had creatine in the past, haven't we? Or yeah, we, I, I've used it on and off. So I'll just put it in my little shakes that I have after my workout. <laughs> yeah. And then we talked a little bit about, you know, proteins, right. And keeping our eye on that. So you can see chloride is low from a functional range. We call that hypochloridria where you're not, you don't have enough chloride to support stomach acid secretions. And that is causing your total proteins to be elevated. So again, you know, helping someone with digestive secretions um, is, is key, right? And, and that can create, like if the liver is sluggish and it's not pumping everything out from phase one, phase two, phase three, uh, and it's backing up, then that can create some of that microbial concerns um, and that can create um, bile in the blood and that can create um, decreased stomach secretions. So that, that, that's key to, to keep our eye on. Um, and then as far as white blood cells go and red blood cells go, that would have been key to know. Like, I would have liked to know, like, are your white blood cells low? Are they high? Are your neutrophils low or high? Because if you're getting any GI disturbances, um, mm -hmm. we may want to layer that into our protocol as well. So we're missing some things there, Carrie. How yeah. do you feeling GI wise? I, I actually feel good GI wise. Um, yeah. I mean, I get a little, um, bloated from eating so often with, with the carbs, but I'm regular right, right. and I'm not, uh, yeah, yeah. Was, um, but I kind of backed off my HCL a little bit because I'm eating more often. So I didn't want to take too much of that. Like, but maybe I need to right. put that back in to, to help. With I, I would layer it in. Yeah. So like in, in closing here, you know, keeping aware, recycling, maybe recycling back into a little more ketone levels being yeah. elevated. And, you know, strategies to do that um, longer, lo like more time between meals, right. uh, eating windows, um, a, a little more fats, but more so in your case, dropping the carbs, mm -hmm. um, not so much bringing the fats up. Um, and then fun focusing on liver support, um, focusing yeah. on sulforaphane, maybe a little bit of that estroflavone. We talked about the tranquinol helping with getting that free cortisol into, uh, into cortisone, but all the things we're doing will we'll support that. Controlling detox, controlling the breakdown of proteins, um, all of that will result in potentially your, your, your free cortisol not 
squeezing the sponge and getting, you know, as much out of it as possible. Right. And then potentially seeing that thyroid levels value drop. Um, I, I think that a better blood test is in order, right? Get, get some iron yeah. panels, um, get the free, get the T3, the reverse T3 ratio. So we can keep our finger on that pulse and then don't do anything rash in terms of, okay, I got to get on my, um, on more estrogen because I'm having the night sweats. Um, I think that your liver is congested mm -hmm. and, and do these strategies and that will help process estrogen a lot more favorably. And, and now you're, you're not getting the night sweats and you didn't need to go on because postmenopausal without estrogen, you were in the ranges, right? So, um, I think you're okay there. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does actually. That, I mean, because I, I don't want to go on estrogen if I don't have to. So that actually makes me feel a little bit better. And I'll try. Right. And then lastly, pituitary support, if you wanted to, um, the mushrooms, the fermented mushroom blend from Premier Research Labs, a yeah. really good product. I like that. Um, but, you know, hydrochloric acid, taking your foot off the, off the accelerator on the sulforaphane, hydrochloric acid, adding in the calcium deglucurate or the um, glucuronidation support, which is another product where we can, you know, you, you know how to get that one. Right. Um, th those would be the things so that you're not layering in a thousand and one different supplements. Right. Okay. All right. Is that helpful? Yes. Very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Carrie, um, we will schedule for another time to, you know, get that blood work and then let's check in on what's going on there. So we have it in contact with some of those other values. Yep. Sounds good. Awesome, right. Carrie. I'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning into today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested to see if you're a good fit to work with our Adrenal Awakening program, here's what to do next. Head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply and book an appointment to speak to our team. Here's how it works. We'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes and get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, where exactly do you want to be with your health and where are you now? Number two, what are the genetic components that haven't been discovered that are impacting your health? And number three, what are the environmental triggers that may be overlapping with these genetic components keeping you from getting optimal health? Remember, getting your energy back just won't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make that happen. We've helped clients all over the world transform their lives, quadruple their energy, and fix their metabolism, and make the world a better place. To see if you can do the same thing, head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply. I'm Dr. Richard Joel Rosen and we'll talk to you soon.